Hope. Hope of redemption is what we're talking about today. Hope of redemption. Hope is something we all need and something that we all deserve. When we started this series entitled uh, State of Our Unions, Marriage in Process, this has been an 11-part series. And when we started it, we started with hope. Uh, We've talked about hope being thread throughout this entire series. And so it makes sense today as we're coming near the end of this sermon series that we would talk about hope once again. So next week, we're going to be blessed by Byrne and Cheryl. Uh, It's a couple that are about to celebrate 46 years in marriage, and they're going to be talking to us about longevity in marriage. And then the week after that, we have what we call Testimony Sunday. And so we'll be having uh, testimonies from different people within our church, talk about how this series, God's Word, and how they're experiencing God's hope and goodness Uh, right now in their lives. So invite you all back to participate in that. Today, as we talk about hope of redemption, I have three main points as I'm trying to describe what redemption really means. And the three points are redemption defined, redemption denied, and redemption applied. So why don't we take the first one here, redemption defined. Now, redemption is a message of hope. So if you're tuning in thinking that you're going to hear a message about guilt and shame or, hey, we're in church, so maybe they're going to talk about how I need to do a list of rules, and that is not this channel, that's not this church. And so this message and the story and the message of the Bible is a message of hope. So redemption defined bottom line first, for those of you who just want the bottom line and want to walk away from this sermon, being able to explain what redemption is to a friend or just to have a better grasp and understanding of it for yourself, let me give you the bottom line first and then we'll go into much greater detail. The bottom line regarding redemption in the Bible is it's not a concept. It's not just a word. It is a person. Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. And so let me try to give a uh, much uh, deeper understanding of what it means now. For a lot of people, whenever they're reading the Bible, maybe they've been in church their entire lives, or maybe they're just now getting involved in church, and they're picking up a Bible. So Different people are picking up the Bible, wondering how they should read the Bible. And for many people, the Bible is just a random collection of a bunch of different stories that have nothing to do really with one another, which leaves a lot of people maybe making it through their Bible reading plan that year, maybe through Genesis, perhaps Exodus. But when they get to Leviticus and so on, they end up falling right off of that Bible reading plan because to them, the Bible just felt like a bunch of random stories. And what I'm encouraging us to do is to read the Bible as one grand narrative, one grand story centered on God's redemption plan. 
right? Seeing how flawed we are as characters in this biblical story. You and I are flawed, and the biblical characters are flawed. And how Christ, Jesus Christ, is a representative for flawed characters. Do you see the difference in those two types of readings of Scripture? One way leads you to read Scripture thinking that you need to get your act together. You're flawed, and so you just need to do a better job, and that these characters in the Bible are exemplars, examples that you're supposed to follow. And as you know, I hope you know, that that leads to a life of frustration and utter confusion. And so I'm recommending, and the Bible recommends, that you read the Bible as one grand story, one narrative where Christ is the representative for flawed characters. Uh, and so that's called the gospel. That's called the good news. And it's, it's good news of hope. And it's the hope of redemption. St. Augustine quote here is very powerful uh, in around A.D. 400, where he says, The New Testament lies hidden in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is unveiled in the New Testament. It's very powerful there how both the Old Testament and the New Testament are unanimously overlapping one another as one grand story, one narrative. Creation Regained is another book, a wonderful book written by Albert Walters, and he says, what was formed in creation has been historically deformed by sin and must be reformed by Christ. That's what the hope of redemption is. So the gospel, you may be wondering, how, how can I explain this to a friend? How, I have a non-believing friend, or several of them, and at times we've entered into conversation about my faith and what it means to be a Christian. And, and so how, how, how could I explain or summarize it for this friend of mine? Yeah, how can I explain the gospel to this friend so that they too have a truer understanding of what the Bible calls the gospel. And so here's what I found as a very easy, succinct way to explain what the gospel means. And I'm not really sure who to give credit to here, but uh, someone has uh, summarized this in a four-chapter story. Right, there's one major theme, but it's broken up into four chapters. And I've explained this before in sermons past and here at our church. This is really uh, some, some summary that we use in explaining the gospel. But the first chapter is that of creation. The second chapter is fall. The third chapter is redemption. And the fourth chapter is restoration. Let's quickly review what those mean. And by the way, these four chapters, we're going to allude to these four chapters throughout this entire sermon as we talk about the hope of redemption. Well, creation, the first chapter, is a word known as shalom. The Hebrew word shalom means perfect peace. And that is the image of how things were in the beginning when we were there in perfect harmony with one another and with God. And God's creation was also perfect, not suffering the things that it's suffering now, we all know that led to something else because something went wrong. 
And we as theologians in the Bible explains that the reason for that is because of what's known as the fall. That's the second chapter in this story. The fall, that because of our rebellion against God, that sin entered our story and has now left us with chaos. It's brought about racism, injustice, sickness, disease, and ultimately death. Our world doesn't function in the way that it should. You and I don't experience the peace that we want and that we were created to experience. And the Bible says the reason for that is because of the fall. The story doesn't end there, and that's what's beautiful about the third chapter, and that is uh, redemption. God has a unique plan of redemption. God himself will enter into our story, become a human being through the person of Jesus Christ, and live a life that we were intended to live. He will then die on a cross as an atoning sacrifice to redeem us and to begin a process of restoring uh, all things. And that is the fourth chapter. And this is how the story ends of restoration, that God himself returns. Christ returns to this earth and renews the earth and renews us, our bodies, our spirits, and gives us that perfect peace from which we began. Well, why don't we... That's a message of hope, is it not? That is a message of hope. That's a message that we should be telling, that we should be in conversation about and reminding one another about, that we have a message of hope. See, redemption is essentially to buy something back. Payment is required. The action of buying something back to make a full payment on something, the action of rescuing or the action of saving from sin. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, We have redemption through Christ's blood. Wow, how explicit the writer there, Paul, is to, uh, to the Ephesians whenever he says that we have redemption. That means we've been bought back. It was a penalty, there was a payment. It was required because of our sin. We've been bought back by the blood of Christ. Christ willingly, joyfully laid down his life for us by his blood. And so we are redeemed. Christ died for our sin. He made a full payment for our sin. There's nothing else for you to pay off. There's no amount of morality that you're supposed to go and live so that you can pay God back. It's what we call grace. Redemption also means rightful ownership. God initiates a plan to rescue humanity and the material universe through the work of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14 says, We have redemption as God's own people. This is, this is incredibly beautiful because it means that we belong to God. We are daughters. We are sons. We've been adopted into God's family by grace, and that's what it means to be redeemed. Redemption also means to, to restore something to its original design and its original purpose. 
See, as we alluded to earlier here in the first chapter of this grand story called creation, is that we were created for unity with one another and with God. We were created for beauty. We were created for glory. Yet sin entered our story and created a, an unbelievable mess. And our marriages, our marriages and other relationships are, are truly not all that God has intended for us. And so the objective of God's work in redemption is to free people to be who they were created to be and to free the creation to be what it was meant to be. So for a moment here, I want you to think about the messiness, the messiness of our family tree. And I know that this could be perhaps overwhelming, but I'm going to invite you to go there for just a few moments. And as you think, this warrants redemption. It warrants the hope of redemption. Because as you think about your own family tree, or even the family tree, where we all come from, it's a messy story. And yet the answer to this messy story is one of hope. That there's a God who has a plan for this messiness. Even Jesus's family tree, if you've ever read Matthew chapter 1 and you've gotten through that genealogy there of Jesus, I hope you noticed that some of the major and minor characters listed there in that genealogy, some of the major characters in the Bible, the minor characters in the Bible, there's basically stories of family dysfunction, all sorts of funk and mess that's there who ultimately ended up begatting Jesus, that Jesus came from that. There's jealousy, there's murder, there's rape, there's incest, there's adultery, there's deceit, there's lying, there's cheating on one another. There's racism, there's injustice, there's conflict, and all of this is passed down throughout the generations. From one family tree, all the way it trickles down, all the way into your family tree and my family tree, destructive and traumatic consequences of all of this. And so it's healthy, all that sounds very overwhelming, but it's healthy to understand how our family of origin has affected us, yet to know that's not the end of the story. Yet there's hope, yet God's redemption is promised rescued and released from the bondage of sin and the controlling power and presence of sin. That's what the hope of redemption is all about. And while all of this is wonderful news as we explain the Redeemer and we explain what redemption, the hope of redemption really is, we deny it. Brings us to our second point here, redemption denied. It's wonderful news, yet we deny it. John in the New Testament, chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, says, Christ, when Christ was coming into the world, that which was his own, that means he made it, he formed it in the beginning with God before time even began. Mind blower for sure. But John, our writer, says, Christ came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, 
to all who did receive them, to those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. We, humanity, as is exemplified in in that second chapter that we reviewed earlier, that of the fall of humanity, we deny God's plan of redemption. We want to have our own way figured out. Yet God beautifully, powerfully, in the midst of our denial, in the midst of saying, I'll go my own way, I know better than God, God relentlessly pursues us. And and with amazing patience and tenacity, provides a plan of redemption for us. Isaiah, one of the Old Testament writers and prophets, writing to people in his day and age, writing some 700 years or so before Christ is on the scene, he writes, Isaiah writes in chapter 49, verse 7, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Do you hear that message? Do you hear as Isaiah is speaking out to a people who are rebellious, that in the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of their denying God's plan for redemption, God is a redeemer. God has a wonderful plan of redemption. Isaiah goes on in chapter 54, verses 4 and 5. He says, Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be discouraged, for you will not suffer disgrace. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the disgrace of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. That is the good news. That is the hope of redemption. In the New Testament, Peter and John are arrested because they are preaching about this good news. They're in the first century. And as they're preaching to the crowds in Jerusalem, it's Peter who declares, and this is recorded in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, by the way. Peter declares, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humanity by which we must be saved, by which we must be bought back, by which we must be and need to be redeemed. There's hope in this story. And so when you and I think about our family tree, and we think about the the grand story and, and that large family tree, we basically have three options. And the first option first option is shame and guilt. When we think about our past or we think about where we come from. Second option is pride and arrogance when we think about how well we've done. And the third option we have, and I'm recommending this third option, that is an option of hope. Hope. Let me 
talk just a moment here about shame and guilt. Shame and guilt is not the answer to our story. Regardless of your family tree, regardless of your current story that you're going through right now, shame and guilt is not the answer for your story. Our only hope for shame and guilt is for someone bigger and stronger to come in to your story and enact redemption to begin to change your story and restore your story and reclaim your story. Shame and guilt is not the answer. Equally, pride and arrogance, if that's what you choose, that is not the answer to your story. Thinking that you've lived with great decisions that you've made and you're banking on those good decisions. So regardless of how well you think you've done in your marriage or in your family life or in your personal life, pride and arrogance is not the answer. Hope, hope, the hope for redemption may not exist or reveal itself until something happens in your story triggering an event or triggering a revelation. And without it, your character is stuck in the story right there. And so God graciously allows suffering. He graciously allows things to get our attention that takes place in our story so that there can be a turning point in our story. A turning point is when something happens in your story to awaken hope. And that gets us to our third point here, is that redemption is applied. Redemption means nothing unless it can be experienced. Right? Unless you can experience redemption. Unless you have a personal experience with this story of hope, of redemption. It means nothing. It's just words. It's just a concept. And so I'm inviting you to know the Redeemer. I'm inviting you to, to re-know and remember the Redeemer if you're already in union with this Redeemer. Job chapter 19, verse 25, this classic text in the Old Testament. And Job is known as a person who endured suffering mysteriously. What is God up to with all of this suffering? And what if I've done all the right things? Why am I suffering? Why is humanity suffering? Why is the creation suffering? And yet, after all of that deep thinking and reasoning, Job, Job lands on this in chapter 19. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand on the earth. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know that that fourth chapter of restoration that God, through Jesus, will return to this very earth and renew all things. That's the hope of redemption. My Redeemer lives. So redemption is applied to us. Yeah, that's what I mean by this point here, redemption applied. I don't necessarily mean that uh, applying redemption is something that you and I go and do. It means some of that, but first and foremost, it means that it's applied to us. It's been given to us. God the Father in the Holy Scriptures has planned 
redemption. Christ the Son in the scriptures accomplishes redemption. And I love, I love, oh, this brings such joy to me. When I reread this week, Luke chapter 24, verse 27, where Jesus is teaching his disciples there on the road to Emmaus. And, he, and it's that, that verse there says, in beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. That all of the scriptures, all of those stories, all of that brokenness, all of that messiness of that family tree, was pointing towards a need for a redeemer. And Christ said, it all pointed to me. I am the redeemer, Christ is saying in the New Testament. So it's God the Father that's planned that story of redemption. It's Christ who accomplishes by his life, death, and resurrection. And it's the Holy Spirit, God, through the presence of the Holy Spirit that applies redemption to us. Let me read some very, very encouraging verses here from Romans chapter 8 and go back after this sermon and just reflect on these verses. Perhaps put them to memory. Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 25. Paul, the writer, says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Oh, the hope of redemption, both for us and for creation. The hope of our stories being reclaimed and renewed. Listen to this quote by Mike Williams in his book, Far As the Curse is Found. One of my seminary professors He explains that God not only sent his son to die for us, but God's redemptive goal is nothing less than to push sin out of every inch and aspect of God's creation. God's redemptive goal is the reclamation of all things. We should not dismiss what is at stake here. God is jealous for what he has created. He surrenders nothing to the forces of sin and death. The loving grace of God lays claim to all things, destroying the devil's work and returning every bit of God's world, every aspect, place and thought to its rightful Lord. 
I love that. That's what it means for Christ to be king. That's what it means for us to pledge glad allegiance to King Jesus. That's the story of hope that we belong to. Or another quote by Cornelius Plantinga in his book, Engaging God's World. He exhorts Christians, those who find that this story is their story. He says, prepare to add one's own contribution to the supreme reformation project, which is God's restoration of all things that have been corrupted by evil. According to Scripture, God plans to accomplish this project through Jesus Christ, who started to make all things new and who will come again to finish what He started. In the meantime, God's Spirit inspires a worldwide body of people to join this mission of God. Join the mission is the message. Join the mission because this story, this story of hope has been given to us. So in conclusion, the hope of redemption is that God uses brokenness. The hope of redemption is that if you're married If you're single, if you're a divorcee, if you're widowed, whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, whatever your story, God can write a new story. And God is writing a new story in your story. This is what a successful story is. It's a story of repentance towards God. It's a story of humility before God. It's a story of surrendering to God's story of redemption. Why don't we pray in closing as we come to a close here. God, we thank you for being the redeemer of our story. Thank you for your plan to restore us and to restore all things. Thank you for the hope that you bring us. Help us admit our need for you to heal us and to restore us. Heal us where we're not well. Restore us where we're broken. And come again, Lord Jesus, to restore your creation and reunite us once again into perfect harmony and peace with one another and with yourself, O God. We pray all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.